Welcome to Freya's Fairy Tales, where we believe fairy tales are both stories we enjoyed as children and something that we can achieve ourselves. Each week, we will talk to authors about their favorite fairy tales when they were kids and their adventure to holding their very own fairy tale in their hands. At the end of each episode, we will finish off with a fairy tale or short story read as close to the original author's version as possible. I am your host, Freya Victoria. I'm an audiobook narrator that loves reading fairy tales, novels, and bringing stories to life through narration. I'm also fascinated by talking to authors and learning about their why and how for creating their stories. We have included all of the links for today's author and our show in the show notes. Today is part two of two, where we are talking to Pamela Topgian about her memoir, I Didn't Come This Far, to only come this far. Today we will finish hearing about her incredible journey of overcoming neglect, abuse, and trauma. How therapy helped her through all of these things so she could build the life she really wanted. I didn't come this far to only come this far. A true story of my own journey through a life of betrayal, abuse, and neglect to one of peace, love, and freedom. A true story in her own words, five years in the making. Pamela walks down memory lane. An account of her life as a woman born in America in the 60s. Pamela talks openly and candidly about a life full of neglect, betrayal, abuse, grief, and loss. One traumatic event after another. Until a total breakdown after being left unconscious on the floor after an attack by her addict husband is a catalyst to an awakening and finally realizing true love, peace, and freedom in her 50s. Trigger warnings, poverty, neglect, rape, sexual assault, and physical abuse. A note from the author. I was going to stop writing when my life settled down, but it's clear that isn't happening anytime soon. I didn't come this far to only come this far. I keep going, keep reaching my goals and dreams. My hope is to show you that no matter what you go through, that you can do more than survive and just exist. There's nothing special or different about me. Much of what I went through is all too common. I wrote this for my own therapy to not have gone to the grave without telling my story, to bring hope and inspiration to others. Thank you, dear reader, for your interest and support. Pamela Topgian. So you are now, so what is the the biggest decision? I mean, you moving across the country, in my opinion, is probably going to have been your biggest made-for-you decision. But is there anything, mm-hmm. you, you changed jobs, you moved across the country. What other you know, big things have you decided to do for you? Well, I am married for the third time. And when I had come to California, I didn't even believe in love. I didn't think it was real. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't think it was a true thing. Um, and I was dating just like, just to have fun. You know, I just right. wanted to go out and forget about my life. And, and not when I was like down and out in the worst, you know, in the worst times. But um, I did start dating and just, you know, movies, hikes, whatever, just to mm-hmm. have fun and get away. And never thought. I'd get married again. I never thought I'd be in a serious relationship again, but I was very, very, even though I wasn't looking for something real um, or long-term, I was very picky. Like anybody Mm -hmm. that drank at all. Nope. You know, (laughs) you know, or anybody that was too clingy. Nope. (laughs) You know, I just was very, very um, uh, picky about it, Mm -hmm. but, um, but I'm married now. And so, I mean, that's all worked out for me. It's a, 
completely different relationship, completely respectful, completely equal, you know, Mm -hmm. true love, which I never knew before. Now I know, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was huge. Um, You know, I think writing the book is huge. You know, that's been a huge turning point for me to get not only finish the story, finishing it was really difficult but getting to a point that you're like okay now it's done okay now it's done okay now it's done (laughs) one more chapter you know because life goes on right at some point you have um, to say uh, this is done (laughs) right right and somebody had told me um like the year before that you know once you're 60 that seems like a good time you know it's like so just keep writing until you're 60 and then start the (laughs) editing and stuff but then I (laughs) had But when I got married and I, you know, we, you know, got an apartment together and everything, I thought everything's going to settle down now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was doing hypnotherapy and, and um, it's like, okay, everything's going to calm down now. Now is a good time, but Mm -hmm. things just kept happening and just kept going on and all for the good. Now it's like, well, I got to add this and I got to add this and I got to add this. It's not going (laughs) to calm down. Right. So just keep going. And then, you know, maybe there'll be a part two, you know, (laughs) I don't know. But, um, so yeah, so getting married was huge. I started painting a part Mm -hmm. of it as therapy as well, because when I was, this is when I was still in the process of, I still had a nursing job, but I was in school for, um, hypnotherapy for Mm -hmm. the second time. And, um, I was sort of like, what can I do? That's going to get me out of this nurse mindset Mm -hmm. out of this really serious, you know, or just always, you know, just sleep, eat, work, sleep, eat, work. And I've always loved art and I've always admired any kind of art. And I never, I've never painted anything or did any kind of art other than like painting a wall. Mm-hmm. And so I just got a kid's set and I'm like, I'm just going to try, you know, mm-hmm. just for the fun of it, just for me, just to, just for creative expression. Right. And it's only been, um, you know, I started at the end of 2000 or yeah, 2019, I think. And now, you know, some of my paintings, people buy them, you know, and people wow. like them. So <laughs> I don't like any of them, but people, other people do. So. I think that's how I felt about my voice at the beginning. It's like, oh, oh. I'll get like five narration jobs and that'll be it. And uh, I'm way past, I don't know the exact number I've done at this point, but I'm way past five. Yeah. So. Yeah. You have a great voice for it. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't think when you're, and the same with art or writing or, you know, anything that you do, you think yeah. I'm going to do this for me because right. I'll have fun doing it no matter if right. anyone hires me or not. So like one of my podcasts that I do, I host under a different name. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like, I'm strictly going to do this for fun because no one can yeah. tell me. Well, I mean, I guess the podcast, you know, places that host your podcast can say right. we're going to take you down. But um, for the <laughs> but most your part, friends and family, your people right. around you. Yeah. Well, and in. You know, people can't tell you what to do or not to do on it. You can kind of do whatever you want to and people will yeah. listen or people won't listen. And <laughs> right. that particular podcast I'm having, it's it's a daily one. And I have, you know, 20 to 40 people a day oh my listening goodness. to that. So nice. I'm like, all right, so that's, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I decided to start this one, which is a totally different, um, mm-hmm. you know, podcast than that one is. Uh but yeah, it's just, it's weird with anything that you do, I feel like do it for you 
Do it because you're having fun. And if you can make money off of it, that's just a bonus. Right. Exactly. And that was the same with the book. You know, I did it Mm -hmm. for me. I did it for me. I did not think about publishing until I was closer to the end. Mm -hmm. I did it for me. And and it was really, really helpful. And I would suggest people write out their story, you know, write Mm -hmm. it out, get it out of you. And that's very therapeutic in itself. And then if it's something that you feel like, you know, you might be interested in the world hearing or it might be inspiring to others, then Mm -hmm. look into the publishing. Well, even if you don't think it'll be inspiring to others, I mean. Right. You you don't even know, know, really. Right. 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 Yeah. You don't even know. And I I didn't know either, really. But I know that I had read others that kind of really struck me, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, those stories were a little more extreme than mine. And it kind of made me feel like, you know. You know, I can relate with a lot of that, even though their stories are more extreme with the with the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of felt too that it would be inspiring for people to know that even though they're not like you know horrific things, that they still get stuck there, and you can still make it out. You know, it doesn't have to be like this horrific thing. Like I already said, you know, this really terrific, you know, horrific thing, and then on to really great things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that to be inspiring. Just to know that somebody's been through what you've been through and they made it out, you know, and right. they went on to really live. So, yeah. Well, I got to a point that I totally trusted myself. I mm-hmm. got to a point that I knew that I would have a better, um, you know, a better view than I did before. You mm-hmm. know, I knew I trusted myself now. Um And like I said, it wasn't really, I wasn't really planning to get married. I wasn't looking for a long-term relationship. It was Mm -hmm. just kind of developed on its own slowly, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. And it's just a, just a, you know, we, we make each other better individually, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what matters. I think it's not, oh, I'm better with this person or we're so good together. It's like, we are, and especially when you're a little older too, you know, it's like, we have helped each other grow personally just mm-hmm. by being in the presence of, you know, somebody that respects you and, you know, and truly loves you mm-hmm. and an equal partnership, an equal relationship. So, you know, and feeling like you're um, can be fully yourself and, and not feel like you're going to be criticized or put down in any way, or, you know, there's no eggshells. You know? Right. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me and my husband, we, we're both slightly, <laughs> I say we're crazy. We just come up with like the most random things. And it's like, man, we, we've been married for 10 years. Last weekend was our 10 year anniversary. And so um, it's kind of like, you know, well, we've put up with each other for 10 years. May as well keep going. May as well keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so what is some kind of advice you have for either someone who is you know, scared to put their story into words or someone that's scared to then publish the book? What's some advice that you may have for? Well, if you're scared to put your story into words, write it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Just write it as if nobody's ever going to look at it, but yourself. A lot of people have said to me, I would never remember my whole life. And I didn't either. And Mm -hmm. so you write some of it, you just start. And as you go, you will remember. And if you don't, leave space, go on to the next memory, mm-hmm. and then you can come back to it. Right. You don't have to write, especially the first, the first draft. I mean, the one thing 
that I was surprised at is how many times you go over and over mm-hmm. and over it. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big surprise for me. But um, but yeah, my advice would be write it as if you're writing it just like a diary or a journal. Mm-hmm. Don't even worry about the grammar or the spelling or how it sounds, if it's readable or, or don't even think that anybody else is gonna read those words. Mm-hmm. Even if your end goal is publishing from the beginning, make that first draft, just get it down and then know that you will go back and make it more readable and more, you know, um, then, you know, you'll have an editor. If you don't have an editor, that's another thing. Get an editor because, <laughs> because you know, that was another thing for me is like, I first, um, I self-published with KDP and um, I had friends read it and I put it through a couple of programs. And then when I got the physical book, I noticed errors in it and Mm -hmm. I was kind of embarrassed and kind of, you know, not, not, um, not mad, but just kind of like, Oh gosh, you know, I did all these steps. I thought it was going to be fine and Mm -hmm. it wasn't. So I ended up hiring an editor anyway. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's very important. You know, if nothing else, hire an editor, you know, Mm -hmm. don't think that you know, if you have so many people read it, whether it's friends or people you don't know, you know, there's beta readers are out there and stuff still. Right. <laughs> editor, you know, I feel like so I haven't got I'm I'm writing my own book, fiction book. Um, I haven't got to the point of editing. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> not even I don't know. I think yeah. today I hit like 22,000 words on it. So it's not, nice. you know, chump change at this point, but yeah. I'm not anywhere close to the editor <laughs> part of things. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, I'm very meticulous about stuff, but I'm like, I don't know if I trust me. In fact, I had to read, it had been a while yesterday since I had looked at it, probably like mm-hmm. a month since I'd written on it. I had to go back and read through what yeah. I had done so far because I'm like, I don't remember what I, yeah. <laughs> what I did. <laughs> right, right. So I'm reading through and realizing that some of the chapters, my dog is barking. Um, <laughs> some of the chapters, for some reason, I had written in past tense for like uh, most of it. Mm-hmm. So then I'm taking all this time editing. I'm like, no. Get your first draft done. You can edit it later. <laughs> right. And I think that's so important to just, no matter what you're writing, you know, just mm-hmm. get that, whatever it's in you, whether it's a story, whether it's, you know, your memoir, whether, no matter what it is, get it out there. Don't look back until you think you're at a, a stopping point, mm-hmm. you know, until you think you're, you know, I say you think you're done because you're not done when you think right, you're done. Right, right. <laughs> but that, that's another thing of advice that you think you're done, you're not done, you know? Right. <laughs> so there's so much, there's so much in the ending of it that was a big surprise to me. But I think that's a huge thing. Don't start editing before you're done mm-hmm. <laughs> or before you think you're done. Because yeah, there's, you can always go back and you're going to, you're going to end up interrupting your you know, just creative the story process. Line, you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you go back and keep going back, you know, three steps back and one step forward, three steps back. You know, I had to go back because I couldn't remember, you know, some of what right. I had. I'm like, did this already happen or did this? I, I'm very yeah. much not planned. Like in my head, I know where I eventually want to get to. Right. But I don't You're have not sure like, what you had down yet. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't sure like, did I do this already or did I not do this already? And then you yeah. kind of have to read it. You can't just like, you know, find it in the text and read, you know, some little snippet. <laughs> right. Um, 
So what kind of advice do you have for someone if they are, you know, going through a situation like yours? Um, kind of what advice do you have for someone? Because you said you had the cops help get you out. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that, you know, kind of phone call to them go? Like, was there a special line to call into or? Well, I, I believe I just called 911 because I had been beat up and I was on the floor of my closet and mm-hmm. I didn't know where he was in the house. And I didn't feel safe to come out of that room Mm because I had tried several times earlier in that night. So I ended up calling 911. Um, But the advice would be, there was a point weeks ahead of that. Mm -hmm. I already decided to divorce because I had found out he was self-sabotaging, doing these, taking his prescription medication, um, not as prescribed. You know, he was overdosing and taking them together and drinking on top of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, and I, and I was putting so much of my, he wasn't working. I was working 16 hour shifts, 12 hour shifts, Jeez. you know? Yeah. So I was just, you know, really uh, for my own detriment, trying to help him. And mm-hmm. he was just self-sabotaging. Right. And I said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. And uh, we had had a year of in and out of psychiatric hospitals, out of other, you know, treatment centers and everything. Mm -hmm. So I had done all I could. And I said, I have to leave, you know, I am getting a divorce, but I was staying because he didn't have a job. I didn't Mm -hmm. want him to go out on the street. So my advice with that is when you know, you need to get out, get out. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if it's a dangerous situation or it's a potentially dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. You know, don't feel like, you know, well, I can't put them out on the street or, or, you know, worry about whether they'll be able to pay their bills or whatever it is. That's, you need to take well, care of you first. Yeah. That's kind of their problem. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that sounds harsh, but right. you, you know, if you're up to, if you're at that point, it's already been harsh on yourself too. Right. And self-care always has to come first, mm-hmm. you know? That's the biggest takeaway, I think, you know, is self-care has to come first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whenever you leave these people, like, like when I left, you know, he still was going to be in the position that he was, right? These people that, that are like this are not going to, oh, I'm going to get better now so that she can leave me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. You know, if that's what you're waiting for, you know, (laughs) it's never going to happen. Right. Right. So when you're ready, that's when you take the initiative. Don't wait till you're knocked unconscious on the closet floor. And so don't wait till it gets to that point. If you had gotten out, you know, when you weeks ahead of time, what would you have rather than call 911? What would you have done at that point? You know, looking hindsight it's always best what what would you what steps would you have taken differently if you'd gotten out sooner well when I left I had already been looking for apartments and places so luckily I had that but I did I didn't have anything lined up yet because I didn't have Mm -hmm. a date exactly for when I was right so I would say you know if it's a dangerous situation or even potentially dangerous um have that all lined up and don't I would say not to let them know which again, sounds a little harsh, but I think you mm-hmm. have to think of your own safety, right. not to let them know until you're ready. And there's so many things like we didn't own a house, we were renting. So mm-hmm. when I filed for divorce, which was before that night, um, 
I went to my landlord and told them I was going to be moving. They knew mm-hmm. I was the only one working. I said, I want off the lease, do what you want with him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think to think of, you know, maybe make a list of all the things you need to do for you to be okay to live on your own, you know? And also, you know, I didn't think about this before, but it would be good to say, you know, I've just been through this terrible thing. Even if your whole life was great up until then, maybe I should get some counseling just to see mm-hmm. if I'm okay or if there's any healing that needs to be done before I get to a point of, you know, a total breakdown or anything. Right. You know? Um, you know, just, you know, just even if you're coming off of a, an abusive relationship, I'm coming off of a, I'm divorcing, you know, and, and, you know, I just want to see if, if there's any healing that needs to be done before I move on with my life. Right. So I would say do that, get yourself some therapy, some counseling set up, make sure you have a place to go. Cause I went and slept at a friend's house for a couple of nights until I could get something sooner that I had already looked at. So luckily Mm -hmm. I did have that started in the process. And um, yeah, just think of, think of yourself. And usually those of us that are in those relationships we're so used to thinking of them, what's right. best for them, what can I do to help them? It's a total switch and uh, it doesn't come easy, but it's a total switch to think, what do I need? What's in my best interest? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So what advice do you have for picking um, the person that you decide, you know, whether it be a therapist or a you know psychologist or, you know, whatever the case may be, what advice would you have if you, if you are in a situation where you think you need counseling mm-hmm. or whatever, um, how would you just, you know, for someone looking to possibly talk to someone, how would you, you know, tell them what type of person they need to see starting out um, and how to pick, you know, cause I know everybody's different, obviously right, right. as our different therapists. So what kind of questions and stuff would you as a new person going to therapy ask? Well, I don't know what kind of questions to ask, but I would say, first of all, if you're not feeling comfortable with the person within the first few sessions, find another one. Because mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable within the first few sessions, you know, if you don't feel comfortable telling this person everything or feel fully open, um, you're probably not going to, you know. Right. They it's their job to make you feel comfortable. You know, it's their job to do that in the beginning. Um also don't expect magic. Don't expect them to tell you what to do and have all the answers either. Right. And know that it's going to take time, but it takes patience and it takes diligence to find the right kind of therapy or treatment for you. Mm-hmm. So know that it might, you might go through a couple of different therapists or a couple of different types of therapy. And also that some of these things work well together. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to, um, you know, if you want to do something very more alternative and maybe get some Reiki treatments, you know, it's like energy healing. And then also see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. That's, that's totally fine to put those two together. If you Mm -hmm. like both, but one isn't really enough, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, making that connection early on, if you don't, it's okay. You don't have to feel guilty. They're used to it. (laughs) Don't feel like, oh, I, have to like break up with my counselor that I've been to three times, you know? Well, I mean, at the end of the day too, just some people just don't mesh. So that's, I mean, you have some people that you don't want to be your friends because you just don't mesh with them. Right. Right. And your therapist is not your friend either, you know? So look at them as they're doing a service for you. You're hiring them Mm -hmm. to do a service for you. So if, 
you know, if it doesn't work out right, whatever the reason, you know, and, and, you know, I do hypnotherapy. If, you know, if the exact same method that I do or the exact same techniques that I do that I learned, someone else may do the exact same thing, but I might have a a connection with somebody that that other one doesn't or vice Mm -hmm. versa, you know, and as a therapist of any type or any type of treatment or counselor, you want to have that connection Mm -hmm. to where you're really going to feel like you can dig deep and help this person and not have them guarded and not have them feel uncomfortable with you. And if, you know, if you're seeking to look for another counselor or another type of therapy, and you're the person you're seeing gets mad at you or tries to make you feel guilty in any way, that's just your, you know, your sign that it, you need to leave that person. Right, that's kind of a red flag at that point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they should want you to be better, whatever that takes, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, I think, I mean, we covered, it's it's a little bit different because usually I go into like, how did you come up with this story? Which for you, that's... Not yeah, it was my really life. A question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you come up with your life? Is a really stupid question to ask. <laughs> yeah. So, at this time, you are are I'm guessing you know trying to get new patients and stuff with the hypnotherapy. Do you have any plans right now for another book, or have you started on part two? <laughs> I haven't started on part two, but I had so many people say, you know, oh, I've always thought about writing a memoir. I always wanted to write my book and, and ask me questions about writing it and getting mm-hmm. to the point of, of um, publishing it. So I did start a book about, I don't have a title yet, but just about the whole process. Okay. So I'm writing a book about the process of writing my memoir. Okay. And uh, so I've started that. And I did also <laughs> start another one. I'm trying my hand at like a more, just a story, like a more fiction one. So, so going back to when you were a kid. Yeah, kind of. So, I mean, it's just like a story um, line in my head. So, you know, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> but again, you know, both of those I'm writing, not, you know, I'm, I just started writing just, you know, in a document and I'm like, you know, I'm not writing it as if anybody's going to look at it tomorrow, you know. You said it took you five years to write this one. So, I mean, yeah. So, I'm kind of giving myself the year, giving Mm -hmm. myself a year timeline to decide where I want to go with those and how much I've worked on those. I'm not making any kind of a goal. I'm not working on them every day. It's just kind of like in the background. Okay, Okay, so I'm doing this and we'll see where it goes in a year's time. I'll see where I'm at with it. All right. Well, that sounds oh, yeah. like a, a good plan. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. And thank this one, you. thank you so, so much. Thank you so this much for your time. Fun. You have a good yeah. rest of your Sunday. You too. <laughs> Bye. Pamela's favorite fairy tales are ones that include triumph over difficult situations. The story of Cinderella is one of the most popular in the world. In the West, it has enjoyed a continuous following since its revision and publication by Charles Perrault in 1697 CE, but the tale of the young heroine, unjustly forced into servitude who becomes elevated to royalty, was told for centuries before in China during the Tang Dynasty, 1618 to 907 CE, in the story of Ye Shen. In this story, the evil stepmother and stepsister kill the animal friends of Ye Shen, but in the end are destroyed and the girl wins the hand of the king. The story was reworked in the 17th century CE in Italy, prior to Perrault's version, by the poet Giambattista Basile, 1566-1632 CE. 
The posthumous publication of Basile's now famous children's book Il Pentamarone in 1634 CE included the story La Gata Cenerentola, The Cat Cinderella, which is recognized as the first European appearance of the story in print, although, like Basile's other tales, it was already known in Italy. The story was afterwards reworked and published in other forms in Germany, Russia, and other countries. Scholar Patricia Monaghan, writing on the Cinderella tale, notes, Cinderella's thousand-year global circulation makes it the world's best-known fairy tale, but no one can really say where it began or when Cinderella's magic slippers brought her to Europe. Today, we will be reading Ye Shin by Ai Ling Lui. Don't forget, we are also continuing the original story of Beauty and the Beast on our Patreon. Ye Shen, a Cinderella story from China, retold by Ai Ling Lui. In the dim past, even before the Qin and the Han dynasties, there lived a cave chief of southern China by the name of Wu. As was the custom in those days, Chief Wu had taken two wives. Each wife in their turn had presented Wu with a baby daughter. One of the wives sickened and died, and not too many days after that, Chief Wu took to his bed and died too. Ye Shin, the little orphan, grew to girlhood in her stepmother's home. She was a bright child and lovely too, with skin as smooth as ivory and dark pools for eyes. Her stepmother was jealous of all this beauty and goodness, for her own daughter was not pretty at all. So in her displeasure, she gave poor Ye Shin the heaviest and most unpleasant chores. The only friend that Yeshin had to her name was a fish she caught and raised. It was a beautiful fish, with golden eyes, and every day it would come out of the water and rest its head on the bank of the pond, waiting for Yeshin to feed it. Stepmother gave Yeshin little enough food for herself, but the orphan child always found something to share with her fish, which grew to enormous size. Somehow the stepmother heard of this. She was terribly angry to discover that Yeshin had kept a secret from her. She hurried down to the pond, but she was unable to see the fish, for Ye Shin's pet wisely hid itself. The stepmother, however, was a crafty woman, and she soon thought of a plan. She walked home and called out, Ye Shin, go and collect some firewood. But wait, the neighbors might see you. Leave your filthy coat here. The minute the girl was out of sight, her stepmother slipped on the coat herself and went down again to the pond. This time the big fish saw Ye Shen's familiar jacket and heaved itself onto the bank, expecting to be fed. But the stepmother, having hidden a dagger in her sleeve, stabbed the fish, wrapped it in her garments, and took it home to cook for dinner. When Ye Shen came to the pond that evening, she found her pet had disappeared. Overcome with grief, the girl collapsed on the ground and dropped her tears into the still waters of the pond. Ah, poor child, a voice said. Ye Shin sat up to find a very old man looking down at her. He wore the coarsest of clothes and his hair flowed down over his shoulders. Kind uncle, who may you be? Ye Shin asked. That is not important, my child. All you must know is that I have been sent to tell you of the wondrous powers of your fish. My fish? But sir... The girl's eyes filled with tears and she could not go on. The old man sighed and said... Yes, my child, your fish is no longer alive, and I must tell you that your stepmother is once more the cause of your sorrow. Yeshin gasped in horror, but the old man went on. Let us not dwell on things that are past, he said, for I have come bringing you a gift. 
Now you must listen carefully to this. The bones of your fish are filled with a powerful spirit. Whenever you are in serious need, you must kneel before them and let them know your heart's desire. But do not waste their gifts. Yeshin wanted to ask the old sage many more questions, but he rose to the sky before she could utter another word. With heavy heart, Yeshin made her way to the dung heap to gather the remains of her friend. Time went by, and Yeshin, who was often left alone, took comfort in speaking to the bones of her fish. When she was hungry, which happened quite often, Yeshin asked the bones for food. In this way, Yeshin managed to live from day to day, but she lived in dread that her stepmother would discover her secret and take even that away from her. So the time passed, and spring came. Festival time was approaching. It was the busiest time of the year. Such cooking and cleaning and sewing there was to be done. Ye Shen had hardly a moment's rest. At the spring festival, young men and young women from the village hoped to meet and to choose whom they would marry. How Ye Shen longed to go. But her stepmother had other plans. She hoped to find a husband for her own daughter and did not want any man to see the beauteous Ye Shen first. When finally the holiday arrived, the stepmother and her daughter dressed themselves in their finery and filled their baskets with sweetmeats. You must remain at home now and watch to see that no one steals fruits from our trees, her stepmother told Ye Shen and then departed for the banquet with her own daughter. As soon as she was alone, Ye Shen went to speak to the bones of her fish. Oh, dear friend, she said, kneeling before the precious bones. I long to go to the festival, but I cannot show myself in these rags. Is there someone I could borrow clothes fit to wear to the feast? At once she found herself dressed in a gown of azure blue with a cloak of kingfisher feathers draped around her shoulders. Best of all, on her tiny feet were the most beautiful slippers she had ever seen. They were woven of golden threads, in a pattern like the scales of a fish, and the glistening soles were made of solid gold. There was magic in the shoes. For they should have been quite heavy, yet when Ye Shen walked, her feet felt as light as air. Be sure you do not lose your golden shoes, said the spirit of the bones. Ye Shen promised to be careful. Delighted with her transformation, she bid a fond farewell to the bones of her fish as she slipped off to join the merrymaking. That day Ye Shen turned many a head as she appeared at the feast. All around her people whispered, Look at that beautiful girl. Who can she be? But above this, stepsister was heard to say, Mother, does she not resemble our Ye Shen? Upon hearing this, Ye Shen jumped up and ran off before her stepsister could look closely at her. She raced down the mountainside, and in doing so, she lost one of her golden slippers. No sooner had the shoe fallen from her foot than all her fine clothes turned back to rags. Only one thing remained, a tiny golden shoe. Yeshin hurried to the bones of her fish and returned to the slipper, promising to find its mate. But now the bones were silent. Sadly, Yeshin realized that she had lost her only friend. She hid the little shoe in her bed straw and went outside to cry. Leaning against a fruit tree, she sobbed and sobbed until she fell asleep. The stepmother left the gathering to check on Yeshin, but when she returned home, she found the girl sound asleep with her arms wrapped around a fruit tree. So thinking no more of her, the stepmother rejoined the party. Meantime, a villager had found the shoe. Recognizing its worth, he sold it to a merchant who presented it in turn to the king of the island kingdom of Tohan. The king was more than happy to accept the slipper as a gift. 
He was entranced by the tiny thing which was shaped of the most precious of metals, yet which made no sound when touched to stone. The more he marveled at its beauty, the more determined he became to find the woman to whom the shoe belonged. A search was begun among the ladies of his own kingdom, but all who tried on the sandal found it impossibly small. Undaunted, the king ordered the search widened to include the cave women from the countryside where the slipper had been found. Since he realized it would take many years for every woman to come to his island and test her foot in the slipper, the king thought of a way to get the right woman to come forward. He ordered the sandal placed in a pavilion by the side of the road near where it had been found, and his herald announced that the shoe was to be returned to its original owner. Then from a nearby hiding place, the king and his men settled down to watch and wait for a woman with tiny feet to come and claim her slipper. All that day, the pavilion was crowded with cavewomen who had come to test a foot in the shoe. Ye Shen's stepmother and stepsister were among them, but not Ye Shen. They had told her to stay home. By day's end, although many women had eagerly tried to put on the slipper, it still had not been worn. Wearily, the king continued his vigil into the night. It wasn't until the blackest part of night, while the moon hid behind a cloud, that Ye Shen dared to show her face at the pavilion. And even then, she tiptoed timidly across the wide floor. Sinking down to her knees, the girl in rags examined the tiny shoe. Only when she was sure that this was the missing mate to her old golden slipper did she dare pick it up. At last, she could return both little shoes to the fish bones. Surely then her beloved spirit would speak to her again. Now the king's first thought on seeing Ye Shen take the precious slipper was to throw the girl into prison as a thief. But when she turned to leave, he caught a glimpse of her face. At once the king was struck by the sweet harmony of her features, which seemed so out of keeping with the rags she wore. It was then that he took a closer look and noticed that she walked upon the tiniest feet he had ever seen. With a wave of his hand, the king signaled that this tattered creature was to be allowed to depart with the golden slipper. Quietly, the king's men slipped off and followed her home. All this time, Ye Shen was unaware of the excitement she had caused. She had made her way home and was about to hide both sandals in her bedding when there was a pounding at the door. Ye Shen went to see who it was and found a king at her doorstep. She was very frightened at first. But the king spoke to her in a kind voice and asked her to try the golden slippers on her feet. The maiden did as she was told. And as she stood in her golden shoes, her rags were transformed once more into the feathered cloak and beautiful azure gown. Her loveliness made her seem a heavenly being. And the king suddenly knew in his heart that he had found his true love. Not long after this, Ye Shen was married to the king. But fate was not so gentle with her stepmother and stepsister. Since they had been unkind to his beloved, the king would not permit Ye Shen to bring them to his palace. They remained in their cave home, where one day it is said they were crushed to death in a shower of flying stones. Thank you for joining Freya's Fairy Tales. Be sure to come back next week to hear Carly's journey to holding her own fairy tale in her hands and to hear one of her favorite fairy tales.